an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Charles Darwin. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And we are at just a wonderful part of the year, Logan. We're at the All-Star break. Now, that's not as great because it means there's no basketball. But what it does mean is that we get to talk some midseason awards. So we're going to be talking about all the real awards. We're also going to be making up a couple of Nerd Sesh favorites here. But, Logan, let's start with the biggest one of them all, where I think we have an honestly incredible race this season. I think there's a couple candidates with really strong cases. Who do you have winning MVP at the midseason point? So right now I'm taking Joel Embiid, uh, mainly because the 76ers are first in the East. But I do want to iterate that I think the Embiid-Jokic race is extremely close at this point in the season. Um, I would say Jokic is the better offensive center. You know, he makes his teammates better. He averages uh, 14 potential assists a night. Uh, He's 100 percentile uh, in assist percentage. Uh, And the Nuggets aren't far that that far behind record-wise. And I do want to uh, contextualize what they're both doing this season is historic. Uh, they are two of three centers to shoot 50, 40, 85 splits in NBA history. Carl uh, Anthony Towns did it in 2018. Both of these guys are doing it this season. Embiid is in the 99th percentile of offensive points per possession. Jokic is in the 98th percentile of offensive points per possession. But the reason I'm going with Jokic is simply because he impacts defense more and he's a more elite rim protector. I think you meant Embiid there. Did I say Jokic? I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna guess you meant Embiid. Though. I apologize. I did mean I did mean Embiid. Um I know the Nuggets in defense has been a little better as of recent, but uh, Embiid is in the 84th percentile of defensive points per possession. Jokic is in the 22nd. Players are shooting 1.5% higher on their attempts within six feet when guarded by Jokic, and players are shooting eight and a half percent worse uh, inside six feet when guarded by Embiid. Uh, but, I mean, we've seen just a massive leap from Embiid this season, Carson. We've talked about it. His face-up game is uh, extremely improved. And uh, I guess this just the, – the distinction is hard because I think Jokic has impacted his team more. But just because the 76ers are the one seed and they have a better record right now is why I'm siding with Embiid. 
So I can't really criticize you. I do have Jokic, though, and I think there's a few reasons why. So the first thing I guess I would say is I think the difference between their offensive impact is maybe greater than you stated. Now, Embiid is having a phenomenal historic scoring season. Jokic is having phenomenal historic scoring and playmaking seasons, and I would say elevates his teammate more than anyone else in basketball. He has a LeBron-level impact on the game. And between points and assists created, he's responsible for 48.3 points per game, whereas Embiid is responsible for just 38.3 because their scoring numbers are very similar, but then there's that huge playmaking gap. And then Jokic is doing it on 57-42-88 splits. And now Embiid's are incredible as well, 52-41.5-85.5. But all in all, Jokic is responsible for 10 more points per game by that metric on better percentage from the field, from three, from the line, and true shooting percentage. And I just think if we look at the historical precedent that we've established, it's do we take LeBron-level offensive production? And I tweeted out a while ago that Jokic is currently averaging more combined points, rebounds, and assists on better percentages from the field, three, and the line than LeBron ever has in an individual season? Or do we favor an elite two-way player We value the LeBrons historically, and that's what Jokic is. And Embiid is a really good defender, holds people 3.6% below their normal field goal percentage, but the Sixers really have an elite team defense, and he's not even the best defender of that group. There's not an argument to be made. So he obviously has a tremendous impact being that great rim protector, still not a fantastic defender in space, and Jokic has his issues. But regardless, the Nuggets have been a top 10 defense in basketball since their first eight games with him as the primary rim protector. And I admit, it's never impressing visually, never impressive visually, but he finds a way to make it work well enough. And then I think even if you accept the premise that Jokic is more valuable individually, which I personally believe he is, there's the team success argument. But here's the thing. I would easily take the Sixers' second-best guy over the Nuggets' second-best guy. I would easily take their third-best guy over the Nuggets' third-best guy, their fourth-best over the fourth-best, their fifth-best over the fifth-best. You're making that face at me. What are you going to—who are you taking over the Sixers' guys in that conversation? You're taking Ben Simmons over Jamal Murray offensively. When did I say offensively? I just mean, yeah, Ben Simmons, like, I don't know. It's not even close, Logan. Jamal was scoring an inefficient 18 a game through a couple months. And yeah, he's on fire right now, but it's not even close if you're looking at all-around impact on the game. So what do you think? I know that you've talked about how the team defense works for both systems. What do you think about the individual discrepancy between Jokic and Embiid? As far as defensively. defensively. Yeah, of course it's significant, but it's not as significant as the playmaking gap, in my opinion. But anyways, let me get into my continued argument here. So when you look at team success, right? We can be so black and white with that. But as I mentioned, the Sixers have a convincingly superior supporting cast. And Gary Harris has missed 17 games for the Nuggets. Jermichael Green has missed 11. Millsap and Michael Porter Jr. have missed 10. No real relevant rotation guy has missed more than eight games for the Sixers. So the Nuggets have been way more affected by injuries. And here's the kicker, Logan. They still have a significantly better point differential. They're top five in basketball there. The Sixers are eighth. And they're separated by three games. So we can go one seed and six seed. We can do all this stuff that isn't really characteristic of the difference between these teams. The Nuggets have been as good as the Sixers this year with a significantly inferior supporting cast, and that's why I favor the Nuggets. They have an elite offense, fifth in basketball, because of Jokic. They basically just have cutter shooters and one Jamal Murray around him. And uh, I just think the Sixers are 14th on offense, and that speaks to kind of Embiid's value there elevating his teammates is just not even close to comparable. So I'm still going Jokic. I do think it's close. I do think Embiid is so much better, and we talked about all the reasons why, than he ever has been before. But to me, it comes down to the difference feels like it's the team success, but the difference in team success really isn't significant. I feel like you're dramatically underselling the Nuggets supporting cast and just how they work around Jokic. Dude, I mean, look at the guys who he's winning out there with. P.J. Dozier playing significant minutes, and 
Guys who they are just picking up off the scrap heap. Compazzo playing huge minutes. Zeke Nagy who wasn't expected to play. And I can like those guys. But we're talking about a couple of Sixers alongside Embiid who had very legitimate all-star cases. Simmons is obviously a lock there. He's a depoy candidate. Tobias Harris, we both said, was our first guy off. He's averaging 20 a game on 50-40, almost 90 efficiency. And so that just doesn't compare to an inconsistent Jamal Murray. And MPJ, who, by the way, is still not a really good basketball player. Will Barton, who hasn't been at his best this year. Gary Harris, who can't make a shot and has been injured for so much of this season. Green's been out. Millsap's been out. Like, I just don't think it's close to comparing. Seth Curry is so much better than whoever you want to take as the Nuggets' fourth best guy. Shake Milton is so much better than whoever you want to take as the Nuggets' fifth best guy. So, and the Nuggets are still a better team by point differential, which is in the long term a more accurate metric than record that I think we'll see hold out over the season as a whole. I mean, in that regard, I will give you that argument because I I think, uh, what was the stat? The Sixers have three wins over teams who are 500 or better yes, this season? they do. That would be a pretty big argument against them. Um, and the Nuggets have eight, I believe. Maybe even more than that. So let me ask you this question then, Carson. Who do you th- If the season ended today, who do you think would get the award? Oh, 100% Embiid, but that doesn't mean that it's the right choice. You're flexing over there. I don't know why you would want to be part of the ignorant hive mind that exists. Carson, uh, Carson, I want to restructure. I I don't think you understand my argument here. I think the most valuable player in basketball is Nikola Jokic. I am simply predicting who it's going to. Oh, why are you doing that? Make your pick. Well, I mean, if I'm going with the person who's impacted winning the most this season, it's Jokic, but I think Embiid's going to win it. I thought we were picking who we want. Oh, I mean, if I want it, I'm going Nikola Jokic all day. Yeah, dude, you're picking the awards. Who cares what the fools or a voting say? I mean, the media is going with Embiid. That's why I went with Embiid. Well, I'm going with Jokic, and I'm part of the new media. Okay, let's shout out just a couple other guys who stand out in this conversation. Do you have sort of a top five etched out after these guys? And if so, who's there? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Third, I'd have KD, and it's kind of hard for me to choose between KD and Harden this season just because of the playmaking Harden we've seen. I just think, I don't know, who do I want more? I definitely want KD. Um, After that, I've got Kawhi because the Clippers are still, uh, you know, really competitive in the West. He's been keeping them afloat, although Paul George has been excellent this season. After Kawhi, I would have Harden, and then I'd probably have Dame in my uh, sixth or seventh spot. Excuse me. You have KD having played 19 games. Yes. So that's interesting. I don't have any of the Nets big three in my top five. I would say Harden is my first guy off of that just because they're 17 and six when he plays and has had such tremendous playmaking value, incredible career efficiency. I actually have LeBron third, and I am a adamantly anti LeBron as MVP guy. It makes me so angry that he is at the top of the odds right now because you are just not watching basketball if you think that. Although he is still putting up 26-8-8 on 51% from the field for one of the best teams in basketball. I mean, and that, that was something that was deeply frustrating, Carson. All of the YouTube videos uh, I've seen, I saw Bill Simmons do one the other day. Jokic wasn't even the conversation. It was Embiid head-to-head versus LeBron, and it's just deeply frustrating. That's really disappointing. I just think what Jokic is doing night to night, we have literally never seen in the history of this league. I would have Dame fourth and... The raw production's incredible. He's also averaging the third most clutch points per game since the stat began being tracked 25 years ago on 63% from the field, 58% from three, and has had a key part in gutting out a lot of close games for a Blazers team that top to bottom isn't what we expected they would be. And then I would say that I have Steph fifth. The Warriors' offense is 20 points per 100 better when he plays. True shooting percentage of 64.6, having arguably the second-best scoring year of his career and is doing it with a really mediocre supporting cast I would say and they're still in the playoff picture so again I don't have any of the nets there Kawhi has a solid case but I just think it's been such a strong team effort there with PG playing at 
really career levels as far as regular season production goes and with the team defense having contributed a lot to their success. That's why I don't have Kawhi there, but he definitely has a case. Okay, so let's move on to the second biggest of the awards, Rookie of the Year. I think it's pretty clear at this point, but Logan, who do you have? Yeah, I think it's pretty clear as well. I'm going with LaMelo Ball. Um, and I think uh, you have to realize that over these last, like, 10 games, LaMelo's been playing even better because he's finally been getting minutes out there in the rotation, you know, significant ones, 34 minutes a night. He's putting up near 20 points per game, near seven assists, six boards on 48-41-82 shooting splits. A LaMelo Ball that is shooting over 40% from deep is a very dangerous basketball player. Um, one of He's one of the best rookie passers we've ever seen. We've talked about this. 6.3 assists per game. Carson, he's 24th in NBA history in assists per game among rookies per 36 minutes. He ranks 16th this season among guards in assist percentage on drives. 18th among guards in assist points created per game, just behind Steph Curry. Um, and I think something that's really deceiving, you look at the pick-and-roll percentiles, Carson, he's only 50th uh, percentile pick-and-roll. Look, I'm not saying that the pick-and-roll percentages lie sometimes. LaMelo Ball is so much better out of the pick-and-roll than that, man. Um, he's got great court awareness. You know, he's always looking for cutters, perimeter shooters. I, and He can make any pass in the book. He made one the other night against the Kings, Carson, that just had me in disbelief. He went up for a layup with his right hand, and in midair just immediately switches to his left and dumps it right off to Bismack Biombo after he drives two defenders away to the right side of the rack. It's it's unbelievable watching him play. Um but to pigeonhole LaMelo just to his passing ability is really, you know, I think doing his game a disservice. Right now, um, he's got great change of pace and stop-and-go ability. He's got great burst on DHOs. And while he's got a funky-looking jumper, dude, he's really confident in pulling from deep. He's not scared. He just uh, puts it up. And he's also another really all-time volume rookie three-point shooter. Uh, there's some other cases to be made, Carson, I think, and maybe uh, two of our favorites here, Tyrese Halliburton and Emmanuel Quickly, but... Right now, he's running away with it. Yeah, I think if you're looking at production on the season as a whole, LaMelo and Halliburton could be a legitimate discussion. But with the surging LaMelo that we've seen, you mentioned his last 15 games, which have just been his games as a starter, putting up 21, 6, and 7 on 45% from deep. It's ridiculous. And you talk about maybe how the pick-and-roll numbers are deceiving there. My guess would be that's because he doesn't get that many high-probability looks at the rim. A lot of it is his floater, but... His floater has translated just as well as you could have hoped. 49% on those actually better than his percentage on driving layups. It's just disgusting touch. And I'm so glad to see how much that's translated to his outside shot because that was a legitimate question that I had was, is he going to be a consistent shooter from beyond the arc? Because he was 25% in the NBL and his form could be inconsistent. Kicked out his leg weirdly, obviously a low release point, kind of a push shot. And it has just all come together. He's better than 40% off the catch from deep. He's 9 of 15 on step back threes. And just a guy who was scoring at a level that I did not expect to see. I said he was the best passing prospect I had ever seen. I didn't expect him to be immediately scoring 16 a game, though, or better than 20 a game as a starter efficiently. And he has just done wonders for this Hornets team that is so fun to watch. Do you think he has any defensive upside, Carson? I think so. He's still an interesting defender to watch. He can be really casual at times, but has really good ball instincts. And as you would expect from a guy who's just as high IQ as him. So there's definitely some defensive playmaking value. Is he ever going to be a clamp one-on-one possession to possession? I would guess probably not. I don't know if he has the temperament for that. But he has the tools. He's long. So your second guy is Halliburton then as well, correct? Yes, by, by far. Who's your third guy? My third guy would be Quickly. Yes, sir. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, so I do want to shout out Halliburton because 
He's not totally out of it, and if LaMelo were to somehow fall off a cliff, which I don't think will happen, then he could enter back into the conversation because I will say, still having an awesome season, putting up 13-5.5 and and on 49-43-83 splits, and has in some ways a more immediate impact on winning because of his tremendous value as a spot-up shooter, his defensive value, his secondary playmaking, his ability to push and transition, all the things that he excels at are really cohesive to winning. It's just LaMelo's the more skilled player right now and as of late has been the more productive player too. I completely agree with all those points and what I think is even more amazing about Halliburton is he's only started two games this season. I Mm -hmm. mean, he's getting 30 minutes a night, but if the Kings would just put him out there on the floor for the second half of this season, you know, starting him at that two-guard spot... One, I think that he could have a real race at winning Rookie of the Year, but if they keep bringing him off the bench, maybe he's got a shot at winning Sixth Man of the Year. I think that he belongs in the conversation at the very least. All right, so let's move on now to Defensive Player of the Year, where I think there's another clear-cut favorite, but who do you have? Oh, there there definitely is a clear-cut favorite. Um, it's Rudy Gobert. We've discussed the Jazz's superb defense a lot here uh, this season, Carson, but for good reason. Right now, they're fourth in defensive rating. Uh, we've said this for teams attempt and make the least amount of threes per game on the Jazz. Um, I believe only uh, the only team to do that in NBA history uh, was the 2000 Pacers for the entire season, um, as well as attempt the most threes on offense. Um, and I know specifically uh, for perimeter defense, it may not make the most sense that a center has the most immediate impact, but we said it time and time again, the perimeter defenders can just afford to overcommit and sprint out to the three-point line, take that shot away, because they've got one of the most agile, high-IQ big men in NBA history with the Carson Brever arms. Uh, <laughs> he can close out shots on uh, further than I think anyone I've ever seen. Um, he uh, can rotate out. He can rotate out to the perimeter as a plus Carson. You noted this in a previous episode. Players shoot two and a half percent worse when uh, Gobert guards them on three point shots, and he's done an elite shot blocker. Uh, two point seven blocks per game this season. The only knock I would have on Gobert Carson is against elite talented centers this season. We have seen him get bodied a few times. Yeah. Um, my top two MVP candidates went off. Uh, Embiid went for 40 on his head. They lost. Jokic went for 47 on his head back in January. And Vucevic went uh, for 34 in late February. I mean, by and large, Gobert has clearly been the league's best defender, but I do think it's a little concerning that we've seen uh, the most talented centers in the NBA kind of get one over on him. So here's sort of my thought process there. Those guys are so ridiculously skilled, and also I would say determined to kind of cook Gobert. When you watch Jokic, and this is something that I said in the video I made about why he's having the greatest offensive season of any big man ever, it doesn't matter who's guarding him because every shot he makes is tough. He's so ridiculously skilled. Length, physicality aren't going to affect him. And Embiid is now at the point where he's such a good jump shooter, it's kind of the same deal. And Vooch is the exact same deal. Vooch doesn't get to the line. Vooch isn't going to blow by dudes. He's literally just going to make tough fadeaways and hooks all day on you. And so that's sort of why I think that that's been the case. But... I will agree, that could be a minor knock. I just think his resume is too strong elsewhere, and the Jazz are an elite team defense. When he's on the court, they play as the best defense in basketball. You mentioned the elite rim protection. He's holding people 12.6% below their normal field goal percentage at the rim, and obviously has that value of just allowing everybody else to play a little bit more aggressively, and so he is the reason that the Jazz are a contender right now more than anything else. Obviously, the offensive contributions of this team are tremendous as well, but he is absurd, and I would say still in a class of his own on the defensive end, but let's shout out some of the other guys. Who are some of your runner-ups for Depoy? So I definitely think Draymond Green deserves a shout-out. I mean, we have seen a dramatic increase in the Warriors' uh, defense since he returned. They're sixth in defensive rating right now. Um, I mean, a much better defense than offense. I also want to give a shout-out to Draymond on the fact that he is one of the best sneaky passers in the NBA, man. Nobody talks about his playmaking. Uh, well, I talk about it a lot. I, but I live with you, Carson, so... 
<laughs> There's that. Um, I just think he's a really underappreciated guy. Um, another one I think that deserves a shout-out, both of the Miami Heat's best defensive studs. I think Bam Adebayo, we've talked about it, uh, one of the best pick-and-roll defenders in the NBA. But Jimmy Butler, um, I don't have the number written down, Carson, but I believe uh, on three-pointers, Jimmy Butler is like forcing players to shoot like 6% worse on their attempts or 7% worse. It's something crazy like that. Uh, and then... After those guys, I'd probably say Ben Simmons is in that tier as well. Uh, you broke down mm-hmm. why you think he's the best perimeter defender in basketball. That can't go unnoticed, but again, in comparison to Gobert, there's a there's a drastic uh, in-between. So I'll shout out a couple guys you didn't mention. I have Draymond on my list. I have Simmons on my list. He's holding people to 40.9% from the field, 1.6 steals per game, and he's the best guy on a top-five defense. But honestly... I think the guys in the second and third spot for me, just because they're maybe more impactful as those elite rim protectors, if not as versatile and maybe not as good per pound, I have Clint Capella and Miles Turner. And I think Capella is a guy who previously, we've talked about him getting played off the floor because of his lack of switchability and maybe his offensive value was a little bit overstated because he was really just an effective rim runner. But we're only talking about the defensive end here, and he has been the best of his career on that end. 2.2 blocks per game, holding people 11% below their average around the rim, averaging 9.2 defensive boards per game, which to me is kind of the difference between him and Turner. Is Turner just not a good rebounder flat out? And that's not a huge thing, but it's certainly something that comes into the conversation when you're arguing for defensive player of the year. And here's the thing with Capella. Obviously, this is a Hawks defense that has been atrocious with Trey Young at the helm for a couple years. They are 13 points per 100 better defensively with Capella on the floor. They play at the level of the number two defense in basketball with him out there versus the worst ever with him off the floor. And so that level of rim protection value is, to me, what has him on my list. And then Turner is a similar deal, 3.4 blocks per game, which is ridiculous, holding people better than 14% below their normal field goal percentage. So I think all those guys deserve to be mentioned. But I don't know that any of them have real cases over Gobert. No, I'm glad you brought them up. They're both, they've both been elite rim protectors this season. And uh, I pulled up the number. Carson, players are shooting 27% on three-point attempts when guarded wow. by Jimmy Butler this season. Wow. That's pretty remarkable. And I will say I saw Jamal Murray was featured on an NBA.com Defensive Player of the Year shortlist basically because of a similar stat that he's holding people 5% below their normal field goal percentage from three or something. It was an interesting take. I did not like it at all. I learned about that on Gannon Hannibal's show, What's the Score, last week, and I was pretty appalled. Jamal's, Jamal's taking strides defensively, but he is not close to this conversation. Okay, so let's move on to what I think is a pretty fun one, and I might maybe surprise you shaking things up a little bit. Sixth man of the year, who do you have? And you've got me really worried about what this take is going to be. Don't be worried. Be excited. I thought it was pretty clear cut. Uh, I'm going with Jordan Clarkson and... I think he's unique in the fact, Carson, that he's not really an isolation guy, but he but he is. And what I mean by that is, like, straight up one-on-one in space, yeah, Clarkson's good at getting his buckets. He's mm-hmm. got a great floater game. Uh, he's got great burst. But if you give me a guy, like one guy with a screen to go get a bucket, I'm probably taking – Jordan Clarkson's on my short list of guys that I'm taking. He yeah. is – elite and just getting that little bit of separation off of a screen and then stepping behind the arc or getting in there and putting up that floater. It's it's unreal. It's so much fun to watch him. He's 96 percentile in the pick and roll. He's got 10 20-point games this season. And to speak to his isolation play, his percentage of field goals assisted uh, speak to his ability to score with the ball in his hands. And it's been an even more drastic change than last year. Only 17% of his two-point attempts were assisted, and only 61% of his threes have been assisted. I know those seem uh, three number uh, seems pretty large, but that's over 15% less on his career uh, by three-pointers and over 7% less on his twos. Like, this season, he has just taken up his isolation ability on another level. 
Um, he's another one of these guys with the ball on a string. He's got a filthy spin move, a hezzy move that just freezes guys. Uh, he's great at finishing, as I mentioned. He's shooting 68% on floaters, 52% within 10 feet, 72% within 3 feet. But the biggest thing about Jordan Clarkson, uh, Carson, I know you love watching him for this reason. He's stupid confident, man. Mm-hmm. That kid will just, he'll pull up any shot. I just, I have superb faith that it's going in. He's shooting 67% on fadeaways this year, 55% on turnaround jumpers, and 41% on pull-up threes. He is, he's a different beast this season. And, you know, putting up near 20 points per game, uh, 20 points per game for a team that desperately needs this scoring off of the bench, I think this has to be rewarded with a six-man-of-the-year award. So I agree with basically everything that you said. Clarkson is phenomenal. He is easily, in my opinion, the best bucket getter off the bench in basketball right now. And it feels like we've sort of all pegged him as the guy, and there was a time where I was in that camp as well. I'm going co-sixth man of the year. I'm going Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles because I don't think that you can separate their tremendous impact on this Jazz team. And yes, Clarkson is far and away the superior bucket getter. I would just say he doesn't really have value if he's not scoring, whereas Ingles constantly has value with his playmaking his defense, and his ridiculously efficient scoring on the season. He's putting up 11.5 points and 4.4 assists per game on 52, 46.5, 89.5 splits, and he creates more points off of assists than he actually scores himself. We've talked about it. Is a brilliant playmaker, a phenomenal pick-and-roll ball handler because of his skill, his ability to knock down those jumpers off the dribble, but more than anything else, because of his ability to find guys, and he has a true shooting percentage of 70.5 on the year. So, That is just absurd value. He's a guy who doesn't need to overly exert himself on the game, sometimes maybe passes up an open shot or two too many. But man, is he knocking them down at a ridiculous clip. And so when you combine assists and assist points created, their offensive contributions are similar as far as the raw number there. And I just think Ingles, again, can be an excellent scorer. He's 89th percentile out of the pick and roll. And Clarkson's array of shot-making tools is disgusting. But I think Ingles' all-around contributions are just as important. And I think that he sort of has more of a captaining role on this team where he can sometimes be the one truly in control with that second unit and then Clarkson is the one who just goes out there and fills up the statute as a scorer because he's such a bucket and he can do it off the ball he can do it on the ball he's great but so can Ingles and just because he plays a different role to where maybe the raw scoring numbers aren't as impressive I don't think that means he's less important I also don't want to cut Clarkson off because he much more fits the traditional mold of a six man of the year where it's just that raw bucket getting ability but Ingles is just as good no, I think you, I mean, that's a crazy mark. I think you undersold it a little bit, Carson. He's like, he is fifth in true shooting percentage right now. Oh, it's insane. That is disgusting. Yeah. So what do you think of that case? Did I persuade you at all? I, I kind of, you mind if I hop on that take real quick? Yes, let's go. Yeah, I definitely want to go co six man. I mean, and I think you brought up a really good point. He's a really good passer, and it's, it's criminally underrated. Passer. I don't think, uh, I mean, I don't know. LeBron doesn't play with the Jazz on 2K, but I don't think enough people watch the Jazz play actual basketball. Um, it's so much fun watching him uh, make those crazy passes out of the pick and roll. I didn't, 70.5, that is just a stupid mark. So there you go. We found some common ground, and I will say Clarkson still definitely has some deficiencies as a playmaker. He's a bucket getter. He wants to get buckets all the time, and he's really good at it. All right, so let me ask you this question. Who would you rather have on your team? Joe Ingles. Okay. I just think he's much easier to fit into winning context, but I will say Clarkson's doing a great job in that sixth-man fill-it-up role, but Ingles is doing a great job in his role as well. I'll shout out a couple other guys. Honestly, maybe the first guy off for me here was Thaddeus Young because he has taken so many strides this year, really as a playmaker, and he's been okay in years past. He's always had defensive value, but just been kind of a weird fit offensively because he's not a floor spacer because he wasn't that real playmaker, but 
you see the Bulls run so much through him. It's a lot of DHO, so maybe not the most impressive assists, but he averages four and a half of them per game and puts up 12, six, and four and a half in total on 61% from the field. 1.4 steals per game has been awesome defensively. Good out of the post, shooting 60% on hooks. And the Bulls are 14 points per 100 better with him on the floor. So I think he's been the second most important player to their winning efforts this season. Second only to Zach Levine. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Thaddeus isn't talked about enough. The only thing I have an issue with with how the Bulls are using him, though, Thaddeus Young is not a five, man. No matter how many times they try to put him in that spot, like they get bullied on the interior when he's running that spot. He um, fights really hard, though. And he makes some gambles, but they pay off a good amount. Yeah, I mean, he's a sneaky good playmaker. He's he's just a really good, well-rounded guy. Um, yeah. There are some other guys I want to bring up. Another bucket getter in Orlando. Uh, I couldn't go with Terrence Ross just because... Um, uh, Record-wise, they aren't very good. Uh, field goal percentage-wise, he has struggled just because of how many difficult shots he takes. Uh, Chris Boucher is another one off of the bench. Tremendous shot blocker inside. Great catch and shooter. And then another one, Goran Dragic, man. Like, I know the Heat struggled this season, but he is still the same electric uh, playmaker off of the bench and scorer. Like, come playoff time, we are once again going to see the value of Dragic uh, for this Heat offense. Yeah, I think the Dragic is a good call, and... You mentioned it having another strong season, just has had some injury stuff as well, and I think some COVID stuff too. Everything has been so wonky in Miami, but they're playing really well as of late, and you mentioned that Terrence Ross has been awesome. I would shout out Trez. I think that he has done a lot to sort of will the Lakers to some wins just with his effort, and then Halliburton, I think, belongs at least on the short list. So definitely some good candidates around the league this year, but we're going with a couple of Jazz guys, and what a tremendous all-around team they are. So let's get in now to the last official player award. We've got plenty more for you, though. We've got a whole set of Nerd Sesh awards. Most improved. Logan, who do you have? So I thought long and hard about who to go with this award because I think this is one of the deepest, most improved classes we have had in a long time. Uh, Julius Randle has improved his playmaking, ball handling, uh, and his shooting on a major level, averaging a career-high five, uh, five and a half assists per game. And he's gone from 27.7% from behind the arc last season to 41% this year. Uh, Christian Wood proved he could be a tremendous defensive anchor and floor spacer for the Rockets. Uh, kind of the perfect modern-day big man. Mm-hmm. 40% catch and shoot. He held players to 10% lower than their average field goal percentage inside six feet. Zach Levine is shooting on career efficiency. Jeremy Grant has upped his game in nearly every way. And Andrew Wiggins has finally given defensive effort. Those are really the guys that I considered for this. But I didn't go with any of them. I am going with Jalen Brown. Uh, he's been my guy all season long, and... Uh, his numbers are certainly impressive, 20.4 points per game to nearly 25, 2.1 assists per game to nearly 4, but I think you really just have to watch Jalen Brown to notice the improvement. Uh, his handle is crazy improved, he's confident in, in himself, he's got way better playmaking vision, um, but the two biggest improvements in his game, I think, Carson, have to do with his scoring. I've talked about it all year, Brown has developed this killer instinct, this uh, will and drive to get to his spots and get buckets. And he's a much better mid-range scorer. I'm sure that will appease you as the biggest mid-range nerd on planet Earth. Oh, yeah. Um, He's shooting 55% from 16 feet to the perimeter. And, you know, I think you can argue that if you look at this in a really binary way, um, most improved, I would probably go with somebody else because Jalen Brown was already a really good NBA player. But I think it is far more difficult to go from a you know, to take this superstar leap from 20 points per game to nearly 25, it's so much harder to make that superstar leap than it is from a average NBA player to a really good NBA player. And in my opinion, Jalen Brown has taken that superstar leap. So Jalen definitely has a case, and I think you mentioned it. I think that he has improved as a scorer. 
And I think that his playmaking has improved where previously that had been a real weakness of his. Now he's okay at it, which is a step up. I would just say he's really starting to come back to earth. And since February 1st, his last 15 games, averaging 21.8 a night on 44.7% from the field, 32% from three. That's almost half the season now. So he was unconscious for a little bit, but now he's sort of regressing to the mean, if you will. Well, and I will say that part of that has been due to Kemba really stepping up. and But the efficiency's dropped off a lot. Well, I'm not just saying. I'm saying that uh, Jalen Brown talent-wise, I think has taken that step, but I do think it's better for the Celtics for their offense to run this way. It has been a lot more crisper with Kemba back and running the offense. Um, I think he's been putting up like 23-7 and seven over these last five games, and they're um, like, they're, I think they've won four straight, so I don't know. Maybe that would be the knock against it is that the Celtics have looked better with the offense not moving through him as much, but I still think the talent jump is there. Yeah, he just still has his limitations. He's still just an okay playmaker, and but I think he has gotten better. So he's on my shortlist. Might even be my second guy. I'm going to go with Julius Randle, though. And I think, obviously, Randle has not been a fun basketball basketball player to watch in years past. There are still moments where he's not this year. But putting up 23-11 and 5.5 on 48-41, 80.5 splits. And I think that there's just a lot of areas in which he's really improved. I remember tweeting earlier in this year that his jump shooting was the definition of unsustainable production. Because last year, he shot 34% on jump shots. This year, he's at 44%. And it is a real weapon, man. He can hit you with a little step back. He can hit you with the fade out of the post. He's got a really nice pull-up game. And then you mentioned from three specifically, up from 27.7 to 40.8. So it's massive jumps by 10-plus percent as a jump shooter. And then the other thing is the playmaking. And he's always been a guy who's tried to be that point forward. But in years past, it's just been hideous. He's been really turnover prone and hasn't actually been that good at playmaking and just puts his head down and barrels into turnovers. And does he make the most impressive reads? No. Is he the most impressive five and a half assists per game guy? Not necessarily, but with barely any turnover increase, he's up from 3.1 assists per game to five and a half and is improved defensively. Now, is he a key part of the Knicks number two defense in basketball? Maybe not, but he holds his own and is admirable there. And for the first time in his career, his team is better with him on the floor than off the floor. They were five points per 100 possessions worse with him on the floor last year. This year, they're two points per 100 possessions better. And he's the best player on a playoff team. And obviously, I am not just going to look at it in that black and white sense. There's a reason I didn't have him as an all-star, because I think that that has more to do with the Knicks team defense as a whole. Much, much, much more to do with that. But I didn't think he could ever get to this level. I didn't think he could ever be that guy. And he is having a phenomenal season. And maybe the raw production hasn't increased as much as a traditional candidate because he was scoring like 19 a game last year. But everything else really has. So that's why I have him there. You mentioned Christian Wood. If he had played enough, maybe he would be here for me. I also do think, though, and I've talked about this before, he was really, really good last year and people just didn't give him enough credit. Maybe he didn't get the minutes for the raw production. And then Jeremy Grant still belongs in the conversation. Obviously, with the incredible leap he's taken in Detroit, it's just... He's come really back to earth as well. Just shot 41% from the field, 31% from three in the month of February. And is definitely improved. Can definitely get a shot off the bounce more than previously. Has a knack for drawing fouls and can be lethal off the catch. But he is more a product still of opportunity, I would say. So I want to ask you specifically to your pick with Julius Randle. Did I guess I don't want to say the lack of talent in, in New York. Did that play into your decision? Like, do you think that Julius Randle is still the best option for New York to run their offense through? I mean, obviously it's worked thus far, but... No question he is. And that doesn't mean that it's good offense for the team as a whole, because it's not. They're 20-something in offensive rating. 
but it's good enough for them to be a playoff team. And again, I did not think Julius Randle could do that ever. And here we are. Is there anyone else you want to shout out for most improved? Uh, no, I do want to touch on uh, where did Wiggins pop into your mind at all? Yeah, I think that he would probably be my fifth guy after the ones who I already named. And obviously it's not the raw production, but just his ability to adjust to actually play winning basketball and his defensive improvement has been phenomenal. So he's definitely improved by a lot. Not quite as impressive as some of the other guys, though, in my opinion, because he's in such a favorable situation playing alongside Steph and Draymond. And it's just different than these guys who are having to carry the load and less than ideal situations. Okay, so last official award here. We're not going to take a break today because you know what? We only have an hour and we got a bunch of awards to run down. Coach of the year. Who do you have, Logan? Um, this one isn't really a competition in my eyes. I have two guys highlighted. Uh, I've got Quinn Snyder and I mentioned this earlier. The Jazz limit their opponents to the least amount of three point uh, three pointers attempted per game. Take the most threes per game. <laughs> that just equals winning basketball. Um, offensively, all of these pieces work exceedingly well together. There's so much unselfishness, so much sharing of the basketball and ball movement. Uh, the Jazz average the most assists per game on drives. They are fifth in total secondary assists per game. They're third in catch and shoot. And the biggest thing, I talked about it with Gobert um, and Clarkson a little bit. They've mastered the pick and roll. Uh, this team is 100th percentile in pick and roll. They average nearly 26 points per game just out of the pick and roll. It's it's mm-hmm. crazy, Carson. Um, and then defensively, they work so well together. So many smart rotational pieces always working in cohesion. Then you And, of course, you have the best defender in basketball. Now, I will say, Carson, I think in giving this award to Quinn Snyder, I think Dennis Lindsay deserves a little bit of this credit as well. I mean, bringing a guy like Mike Conley to town, uh, making the move to get Jordan Clarkson, uh, because this wasn't built overnight. This has been over the course of a few years, and we are finally seeing the the collection of that talent uh, finally uh, play at its best. And I will say Bojan as well, another great acquisition over the past couple years. I have Snyder as well, and what I kind of always point to is the Jazz flow together so well, it feels like they don't have a coach. But they do have a coach, and he has been the best coach in basketball this year. And if you just look at where they stand, they're the best team in the league by a considerable amount when we certainly did not expect that. And you mentioned top five on both ends. They're basically the best three-point shooting team ever. They're making a record 17.1 per game on 40% efficiency. And they're so good at taking away the most valuable shot on the other end in the threes. And then also the most valuable shots in the league around the rim because obviously of the tremendous rim protection of Rudy Gobert. Every single player on this roster is playing up to potential. There's not a single guy who I'm disappointed with, and I think you have to give tremendous credit to Quinn Snyder for that, a guy who has been so good for so long and is now putting on his masterpiece, if you will, and would really be great to round it off with some playoff success as well. We'll see if that happens. But I do think there's a case for Monty Williams because of, obviously, the tremendous jump of the Suns, and you can sort of make that same argument about not a lot of players underachieving. Bench unit plays really well together, great team defense, Obviously, all of that. And then I think Tibbs, you have to make the case for. The Knicks are a top-two defense in basketball. They are firmly in the playoff conversation right now. They're the five-seed, and I think that they will finish, at, at the very least, in the play-in. And that I did not expect at all. No, you highlighted the uh, the two major guys. And I think to speak to uh, Monty's value as a coach as well, I mean, just last season in the bubble, man, with how mm-hmm. the Suns were there, like, I just think Monty Williams is just an excellent coach. He is an excellent coach, and we were talking about him early last season, too, when the Suns were playing so well, and they didn't quite sustain that success, but they're sustaining it now, and they have the second-best record in basketball. So he deserves to be in that conversation, but I think it has to be Snyder. All right, so now we're moving into the Nerd Sesh Awards, and our first one is going to be a little bit of self-deprecation. Worst take, Logan. What was your worst take on this year thus far? 
It's my preseason take. Uh, I picked the Boston Celtics to go to the NBA Finals. And, you know, that one is aged like uh, the milk in our fridge, Carson, uh, pretty poorly. Uh, for context, Carson had to dump some spoiled milk down the drain the other day. It was not pretty. It sucked. <laughs> now, I will say, uh, this take isn't as bad as my picks last year. I said the Bulls and the Kings are going to make the playoffs. Brr. Ice cold. Um, <laughs> the Celtics right now are at 19 and 17. Uh, and I broke down on a YouTube video all of their issues this season. Their stars have struggled to stay healthy. Marcus Smart is still out. Uh, they've got issues on the floor with how they get their points offensively. They're 22nd in three-pointers attempted. And the Nets, Sixers, and Bucks all look like they're going to be tough to stop when it comes playoff time. But like I said earlier, things are looking up for the Celtics. They've won four straight. Kemba's putting up 23-7-3 on 43-43-91 splits in his last five. And like I said, if if the Celtics keep looking like this, I think it looks up for them. But no matter how well they play in the back half of this season, I am... I will go on record here. I am 100% confident that the Boston Celtics will not be making the NBA Finals this season. I concur with you there. So I've had some shaky takes. I picked Gallo for sixth man of the year, not loving that. I picked Rick Carlisle for coach of the year, not loving that. But I think easily my worst one is that I predicted the Knicks to go 14-58. and I thought they were going to be the worst team in basketball. Logan and I, you had a wager at the time about whether they would win at least 15 games, I believe is where we said it. They've already won 19. They're 19 and 18. As I mentioned, they're the five seed, number two defense in basketball. And it's not always the prettiest, but they're legit good. And I just didn't see that coming from anywhere. And what's crazy is, are there tremendous individual leaps with a lot of these players on the offensive end? Besides Julius Randle, I would say not really. RJ's playing a little better. He's shooting a little better. I wish that he was playmaking a little better, but outside of that, it's not like Kevin Knox has suddenly been reborn. It's not like Frankie French fries is getting into the rotation consistently and having an impact. Alfred Payton still sucks. They're just so good defensively, and I didn't see that coming. I thought they were going to be honestly uninspired, and I underestimated the Tibbs impact of just motivating dudes to play defense. Well, I think there's some other guys that have been really good. Uh, quickly, of course, this season, Austin Rivers has looked really good. Um, but no, it all comes back to Tibbs and this uh, team defense, obviously. Okay, next award, Sleeper Superstar. And this is basically a guy who is an established star in this league, been playing really well, who we're not talking about as much this year. So who do you have? <laughs> that was not my criteria whatsoever. You know what? That's fine then. Go with a different one. <laughs> um, I kind of picked a guy that's been pretty low on the totem pole. Um, I was tempted to say Jordan Poole after his triumphant 26-point return to the Warriors. Okay, we have very different <laughs> criteria for this award. <laughs> my guy is Zeke Naji, Carson. Nice. Um. One of our biggest fans uh, back at the, uh, or we are one of his biggest fans back at the apartment. Um, I just think that the way he plays alongside Jokic, and I guess it's kind of easy to say that anybody can really play uh, great alongside Jokic as long as you're a good off-ball relocator uh, and you move within the offense. He's a great catch-and-shooter right now at over 40%, um, and he's deadly. Dude, people leave him open. Against mm-hmm. the Lakers, man, LeBron was lacking hard, dude. Jokic was dotting him up in the corner all mm-hmm. game long. Um He's 63, uh, 63rd percentile in transition. He runs like a gazelle. I think he's got potential as a floor runner if he can develop a little bit more of a handle. He's got a decent pull-up game at this point. He's not afraid to take shots. He's got a really smooth jumper. Like I said, the biggest part of his game, I think, is his really good off-ball relocation. You just can't really teach that. But mm-hmm. the reason I think that Najee can be a superstar is because of this raw athleticism that he showcases. He can jump really high. He's really fast. He's really agile just for such a big dude. I think he has potential to be a great shot blocker one day. I think he has potential to be a ball handler. Like I think that I think that if Najee is developed correctly, he can be basically the total package. Um, 
I am a little disappointed that we had different criteria, so I am uh, definitely interested to see the discrepancies here. I'm not disappointed. I think it's hilarious. I love Zeke, and I think the biggest thing that stands out is, you mentioned it's the outside shot. I liked him coming out of college, and he certainly had some mid-range game. We did not see him ever really shoot the three, though, and now he's shooting the three really, really well, and it's an actual weapon in his game. So to have that immediately, I think bodes very well for his continued development. I have Jimmy Butler as <laughs> a slightly different candidate. <laughs> Again, I will say, my thinking was somebody who is a star who we just haven't given as much credit this year. And I thought that that was clear when we had a discussion. Apparently it was not. So here's the thing with Jimmy. Putting up 20 and a half, 7 and a half, and 8 a game on 57% true shooting. The Heat are 13 points per 100 better when he plays. They're way better on both ends. They're 14 and 8 with him on the court. Having another ridiculous year as far as drawing fouls, a free throw rate of 58.1, which is just the portion of free throw attempts that he has compared to field goal attempts. And he's playing some of the best basketball of his life. This playmaking is up at another level. You mentioned the defense has been phenomenal. And once the mid-range starts falling, which it will eventually, this is probably just going to be flat out the best basketball he's ever played. And Still has this crazy ability to make clutch shots from the perimeter. Had a couple of big-time threes against the Pelicans, and I want to know after his career why Jimmy just stopped taking threes last year and has continued that into this season because he was really a solid three-point shooter up until then. That fascinates me, but regardless, he has real tremendous offensive value and two-way value. I'm going to keep going with my honorable mentions, though. Paul George, another guy I have on this list, just because we've touched on it. But the list of players to shoot this well on this volume of threes is Steph Curry twice and Paul George this year. Shooting a career-high percentage from two at 54, shooting 88.8% from the line, career-high in assists per game at 5.4, and the Clips are 12.7 points per 100 better with him out there. Now, they're just way better with their whole starting five, but still, the two-way value, the shot-making, the improved playmaking, the career shooting from beyond the arc, I don't know if we've given him enough credit. Maybe Zeke Naji deserves more credit, though. Man, I really misunderstood our criteria here today. Maybe. And the only reason I say that is because I was just going to ask, you know, how is Jimmy Butler and Paul George a sleeping superstar? I get it now. I, I apologize. But no, Zeke Nagy is the correct answer. I like Zeke Nagy as well. I considered Zeke for another award that we have here. So let's flip this now. Let's get a little bit negative. Obviously, we have the MVP. Who's the LVP, the least valuable player on this year? And this is basically a guy who we expected to have big contributions, who has disappointed greatly. Yeah, I expected this guy to have at least decent contributions. Uh, he kind of ran away with uh, this award. Uh, I'm going with Blake Griffin, dude. Uh, 12.3 points per game, five boards, four assists on 36.5% shooting from the field, 31.5% from behind the arc, 71% from the free throw line. And speaking of spoiled milk, man, that's how Blake Griffin aged, dude. His, yeah. his game just really deteriorated. And we talked about this uh, a few days ago, Carson, two years ago when he was an all-star it looked like Blake was at least going to be a really solid contributor for a, a young Pistons team. He was going mm-hmm. to be this leader. He had developed a really good handle. He had developed some playmaking vision. He was aggressive in getting to the rack. He had developed an outside shot. Last season, he gets hurt, looked like a shell of himself, and then it continues into this year. Um, dude, Blake just, he, I think he's washed, man. He's and that's why I don't understand. I, I want to talk about he is my LVP for the Pistons because he did absolutely nothing for them. I think this actually benefits them. Let Jeremy Grant take over. Let these young guys develop. Carson, people on social media were talking about how he was going to sign with the Nets and how this was going to basically be the next super team. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know if you watched basketball this season. I'm assuming you didn't. Blake's done. And if yeah. he goes to the Nets or somewhere else like that, it doesn't really make sense to me because right now with where his game's at, he is a primary ball handler. Mm-hmm. Um at least how he was being used in Detroit. 
He's not an off-ball shooter. That would be his only value in Brooklyn. That's what more of what they need. He's not a plus defender, and he's not a shooter. So why does any team need him? I would let Blake just sit in the depths of free agency for the rest of the season because I truly think he brings nothing of value to any team in the NBA. So here, I guess, would be the case for him having value in a place like Brooklyn. It would either be theoretically as that spot-up shooter, which he's just not good at, so he's not going to give you value there, or it would be as sort of that playmaking hub out of the post with a second unit, like a diet Jokic, but for your bench. Because, personally, I don't think he's going to be starting on any legitimate team. You mentioned it. He has been atrocious this year, and he was atrocious last year, too. That's why I don't have him for this award, because I just thought the lack of burst was so apparent, and the shot that he just hadn't sustained from the year prior was so apparent that I was like, this dude's not going to produce at a significant level ever again. Maybe you can have him change his ways and play more out of the post, and he does it a decent amount, but he still likes to start from the perimeter a lot and obviously likes his handle, but he just can't get downhill in the same way as he used to. So, And he's not an efficient scorer out of the post. So I don't really like him to any contender. I think maybe he could be your eighth guy and have some value there, but not much more than that. My LVP, though, is a guy who has certainly been better than Blake, but relative to expectations has still disappointed. We've talked about him so much this year, I won't labor the point. But I do have Kemba, and he's playing better as of late. But on the season as a whole, he is maybe the primary reason the Celtics have underachieved. Putting up 18 and a half a game on 38.8% from the field, 36.6% from three. We've talked about it, but just hasn't been confident getting downhill. 10% of his shots are coming at the rim. That is half of the second lowest season of his career. So he's just been a completely different player. And maybe finding his own a little bit more right now will always have that value as a spot-up guy, but not nearly enough for this Celtics team. And obviously... You have to hold a number of people accountable for what's gone wrong there, but I still think Kemba's at the forefront. Okay, let's stay negative. Most disappointing player, Logan, and this is a little different in that it's sort of a guy who you expected to maybe take a leap who did not take that leap. Cam Reddish. Um, I'm so disappointed in Cam. And, you know, out of Duke, there was criticisms about how uh, about how he may not work in the NBA because of having to play alongside Zion and RJ. And I, I didn't care. I said, no, Cam's a deadly scorer. He's mm-hmm. got way too much talent to succeed. And, no, he hasn't developed at all. He's still not shooting great. Uh, he went from – he's shooting worse. 33% from behind the arc last season to 26% this year. 38% from the field last year. 36% from the field this season. And the one thing that keeps you a mainstay in this league, Carson – is your catch-and-shoot ability. Mm -hmm. If you can do that, hey, man, you can play anywhere. He's a 27% catch-and-shooter. I mean, Cam Mm -hmm. is horrendous to watch. He's... And it's like, he has a decent handle. He has the athleticism. He has the intangibles. That is why it's so disappointing and so frustrating, game in, game out, that he just can't put it together. It is his shot. It is his Mm -hmm. decision-making. There are... There's a lot of issues, and at this point, man, I know he's only two years in. I know he's still 21, but... It's concerning, and I don't know if he's got a, I don't know if he's got a future in the league. So I have Cam Reddish too, and I've always been a Reddish guy. I think that his fluidity stands out, and I think that for a second-year player, his defense is really good. And the thing to me that got me excited about Cam for this season is how much better he got throughout last year. He looked terrible at the start. He was out of place defensively. He couldn't act, knock down a shot offensively, and then his defense got better. And get these stats from last season. His points per game increased every single month. His field goal percentage increased every single month. And his three-point percentage increased every single month but one. And it got to the point where last 21 games of the year, he averaged 14.6 per game on 47-42-83 splits. That's a legitimately good NBA player. And it was like, here he comes. Now he's just going to do that for a full season and maybe a little bit more. And you mentioned it. The number is 26% from three. 
I don't care how much he competes defensively if he can't knock down a wide-open shot. And you cannot explain to me why Cam Reddish can't shoot. He couldn't shoot consistently in college. He couldn't shoot consistently last year. And he's terrible this season, and I don't get it because he's got a beautiful shot. And all he's got to do is knock down wide-opens ones off the catch. So he's been disappointing to me as well. I'll always be a Cam Reddish sucker, but disappointing. I'm not going to bang this drum much longer, but what makes this even more frustrating, Carson, is how good he looked at the start of this season. You know, I he, know. He had, what, I think four or five 20-point uh, games at the start of the year. I'm thinking, uh-oh, this is the year of Cam Reddish. Mm-hmm. Everybody better watch out in Atlanta. And no, just a complete letdown once more. I tweeted at one point, I think like 10 games in, I'm so glad to see Reddish has put it together. Defensively, he's taking so many strides. He's knocking down shots. Then he stopped knocking down shots and started missing everything. So, all right, let's segue into a more fun award, literally the most fun award. Logan, a guy who you'd love watching this year or a team, who is it? Yeah, so I did not go with a guy. I went with a team, and I am taking the Charlotte Hornets. Um, mm. And I did this, I guess, relative to expectations. Uh, at the start of this season, I expected the Hornets to win, you know, maybe 17 games on the year. They've already hit that mark. They are a really competitive really? team. I, dude, I was – I mean, I liked Lamelo, I liked Hayward. I liked some of these pieces, but I didn't expect – I didn't expect them to be competitive night in, night out. Um, this offense is really fluid. They've got so many fun pieces. I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, Airbnb, the pick and roll between LaMelo and Miles Bridges is so much fun to watch. But I guess that's the key word. There's just so many fun pieces here. Mm-hmm. LaMelo's fun. Your best friend Malik Monk is fun. Yeah. Um, Terry Rozier is so much fun to watch because he's one of the – God, Terry Rozier is just nasty. One of the best deadly scorers in basketball. Um there's just Cody Martin is fun. He's a great defensive competitor. He's great at getting to the rack. Uh, he does so many winning things on, in basketball. There's just this team is not exceptionally talented. They are just so much fun to watch because of this offensive uh, ball movement that we see night in, night out, and how hard they compete on both ends of the floor. They're very fun. And I want to give you credit. You had the Hornets winning 27 games. So let's not get carried away <laughs> and think that you thought that they were going to be the Knicks. But they're a really good choice. And my selection is actually a Charlotte Hornet in particular. I have Malik Monk and just transcendent stuff we've seen from as, him as of late. Since February 1st, averaging 17 a game on 44% from three, I suggested that we just make February Malik Monk Appreciation Month going forward, and I think we should. Such a fun player to watch, awesome handle, dynamic athletically. When he is in the zone, just does not miss, or at least is so confident that you're positive he's not going to miss. And it's all clicking for him right now, and here's all I'll say. We look at a guy like Malik Monk and we say, he's terrible defensively. He doesn't really have tremendous value as a playmaker. So he's not a winning basketball player or whatever. Here's what I'll say. In a different situation, he could absolutely be an electric six man. Is the gap between him and Jordan Clarkson that huge? I'm not so sure. Clarkson has a little bit more to his game. He's got a little more of that in between with the floater and whatnot. But off the catch, Malik is just as deadly. He's got as quick of a first step. Like If he's in a different situation, this dude is a bucket-getting machine. And people are taking notice more than they are right now. Dude, he would be a really valuable piece for a contender. I think that if you need scoring off of the bench, maybe in Boston, maybe in I don't know, Los Angeles, like I, wherever, if, if you are a contending team that needs scoring off the bench, make a move from a league monk, man. And let me just say, Logan, what have been my two famously most outlandish takes in the past? Maybe I would say Jokic for MVP last year and Malik for most improved. Maybe I was a year early, but Malik has really taken the strides, and now Jokic is going to win MVP if I have anything to say about it. I'm a genius. Even my misses are home runs, and you guys should all listen to Nerd Sesh every hour of every day. Okay, last two awards here. They're both rookie-centric, just because we did so much talking about the draft ahead of the season, and we already talked about one guy and Zeke Naji and a couple others and LaMelo and Halliburton and Quickly, but 
On the flip side of that, who is the rookie you most regret vouching for? All right, before I get into this, I, I want to contextualize. I do think this guy is still going to be really good in this league, but I really regret banging the drum for Tyrell Terry as hard as I did. Yeah. Um, he's been on limited minutes. He only played, uh, I think, five minutes a night for the Mavericks. But I talked about. I don't. I think I may have made a Steph Curry comparison here or there, man. Um, I think that did happen. And you know, uh, he didn't really look like that. He attempted seven threes uh, in his eleven games with the Mavericks. He didn't hit a single one. Um, I don't know. He just, he, he's not NBA ready. It, it was mm-hmm. like banging the drum for Poku or something like that. I think Tyrell goes down to the G League. He bulks up a little bit. I think I'm just a few years early on my Terry take. I think you give him two or three more years to grow uh, physically, grow as a, uh, just understanding the game of basketball, running a pick-and-roll centric offense and playing off ball a little more. And I think he'll be a beast, but nah, I had really high expectations for him and a lot of people made fun of me for, for how much uh, I was supporting Tyrell Terry. It kind of looks like a cold take now. I don't think it will in a few years. I'm not going to ever be totally out on Terry. I think that he still has such tremendous tools. But anytime you compare a second-round pick to Steph and Dame and the likes of those guys, you're taking a gamble. So you took a gamble. But for me, it's a couple guys in the lottery, a little higher up. Kind of came down to Jalen Smith or Aaron Neesmith, guys who I was both really high on. And neither of them have looked great. I will say, though, Neesmith got off to a brutal start, but he's really coming along, shooting better than 35% from three now on the year and gives real defensive effort, has quick hands there, and so has a little more value than just the pure shooting and has at least been able to get into the rotation for the Celtics and hasn't been great. But ultimately, I was more of a Jalen Smith guy, and I was the one who said when he was ranked 50-something in Mike Schmitz's draft board, hey, this guy will probably be a lottery guy when all is said and done. And then I was surprised when he went as high as he did which was 10th, I believe, but I was always in that same range, and it's just tough because we haven't had the full chance to see him. He's on a really good team, so it's not like they have an incentive to play a rookie who's not that far along in his development, but he's averaged one and a half a game in 11 games, hasn't sniffed the rotation, so yeah, maybe it's a tough rotation to crack. That's a little disappointing for me, though. I'm certainly not ready to say I'm out on him or anything like that, but am I regretting banging the drum so hard when he just hasn't produced that much yet? A little bit, but they're rookies, and they've got long careers ahead of them. Did you consider Onyeka at all? Yes, I did. But I think, I don't know. Another guy who we just haven't really gotten to see that much. And so it's kind of hard to judge where he's at. And I do still think he's going to be good. So I also could have thrown Killian Hayes in there, but I just think injuries and we don't even really know what we have with him either. That's the thing. Some of these guys, we just don't know what we have yet. Okay. Last award here. It's another rookie one. Underappreciated rookie who you want to shout out, Logan. Who is he? There's a few guys I considered. I went with Patrick Williams, um, and I say mm. underappreciated because this guy was extremely overhated during the draft process. I hated on him a By lot. By us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like the Bulls had taken a project guy. I mean, this guy, he didn't even start on his college team, but he's he's been really solid, and he's flown under the radar. He's a surprisingly good mid-range shooter, shooting 42%. And while he struggled at the top of the key, he's a really good corner shooter, 44% and 47% on his corner threes. He's a 39% catch-and-shooter. He's shooting 68% inside uh, – uh, three feet. And, you know, I don't know how much he means to winning basketball right now, Carson, but I have him really rating out to be a really good four one day. Um, yeah. He's got a really, he's really athletic. He's got a budding shot. He's a smart defender. And while his offensive game is just a little unorthodox right now, I think once the Bulls or whoever, you know, develop his perimeter game a little more and starting him, starting, start using him more out of that instead of the post, I think he'll be a really good plus. And again, it's more contingent on what he brings defensively because, again, you need to be a really solid defensive four or five. But Patrick Williams has got the tools. He's super young. Um, and I hated on him a lot in the pre draft process. And for that, I apologize. Yeah. 
I was unconvinced by Williams, and I think I sort of realized the second after the draft, the next day, there was a video of him working out, and he just looked so much more fluid. His handle looked better, and I was like, yeah, this guy's going to be better than I thought. I just called him one of the worst picks that I can remember, and that's not going to be true when all is said and done. Love his mid-range game, just gets to his spots effortlessly, has some impact defensively, and yeah, is a good player. I'm going to go with a much deeper cut, though. So I considered Zeke Naji for this award. I considered Xavier Tillman, who I just love his floater game. I considered Precious Achua. I love his two-way value. I'm going to go with, though, Logan, Saban Lee who has been doing some really impressive things for the Pistons as of late. Over his last seven, is averaging 12.6 points per game and four assists per game on 58% from the field, four or five from deep. And I just do not really remember thinking about this guy much at all in the pre-draft process, but he looks like a vet out of the pick and roll already. He's got awesome change in pace. I love his floater. He's made 8 of 14 so far. Really good passer, can whip them into tight windows, and plays super hard. And I commend that for a guy who's sort of scrapping for his NBA life out there, mid-second round pick in lowly Detroit. Plays really hard and definitely has a ways to go with his jumper. It's not the most fluid motion, but he can hit them off the catch at the very least and has been efficient with them thus far. I think he's shooting 67%. It's just super small sample because he's not really comfortable. But he's a good guy. Very deep cut in lowly Detroit again, but I've loved what I've seen from him. Oh, super deep cut. I was considering guys like Desmond Bain and Peyton Pritchard. I like it though, Carson. Yeah. Well, you know what? I just think, honestly, we've talked about those guys enough that I don't even know if I can throw them in that tier yet. So... That is going to do it for us here today. As always, it has been an absolute pleasure. You can check out some of our video content on YouTube. You can check out, obviously, our more recent podcasts. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. Wherever you get your stuff, you can follow us on Twitter at Nerd underscore Session, on Instagram at Nerd Sesh. And with that, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.